A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 31 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, the adult learning model. Our intention is invisible. Mm -hmm. It's only our actions that people grade us on. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. Today, Chip and I are in the studio talking about building workplace teams using the adult learning model. Enjoy. So, Chip, yesterday you did a training. Tell me about that. I did. Okay, so yesterday I worked with uh, one of my clients and we worked on team dynamics. That was the module. And one of the things that I've started doing because we have so much good content is that we sometimes get stuck in a rut. We go back to the same stuff over and over and over again because we know it. It's Mm -hmm. kind of our go-to. And so I have on purpose made a decision that if I have not taught a module before, I force myself to teach it so that I learn all of the content and I'm going back through it. So module three out of one of our team programs on team dynamics, I hadn't taught in a while. So I thought, you know what? I'm just go for it. So I did. I studied it, and it was really good stuff. Uh, All of our stuff is good, but, you know, you forget about it. And so I go back, and I look at it, and there's an exercise in there. You go to Walmart, and this is where I went, and you buy, for 19 bucks. there's a pre-made bag of 150 sponge blocks for kids, you know, one to three years old kind of thing. And they come in in a bag, which is great. It makes it very convenient. It's 19 bucks. You buy it, and... I actually bought multiple, so I can do it with our charity champion event that's coming up here. Um, And so you set one of them on the table, and it's actually in that module. It's a 20-minute exercise where you give them 15 minutes to 20 minutes to plan the strategy of how they're going to build the tallest uh, freestanding structure that they can possibly build. 20-minute planning is they take it all out. They lay out all the pieces. They strategize. They have to work together as a team, and they figure it out. And then you make them tear it all down, put it back in the bag, and then you say, okay, now you have a practice run, and they get two minutes. And I say, all right, we're going to give you a practice round. On your mark, set, go. And they have to take everything out of the bag and build it as quick as they can. And then I say, okay, put it all back in the bag. All right, this one's live. Mm-hmm. This is for all the all the chips, and so on your mark, set, go. And the teams compete against each other to build the tallest structure in. And what we find when we come out of it and do the debrief is that they change their strategy. They overthink. Some people are more opinionated than others. Some sit on the sideline and watch while others get actively involved. And, right. you know, you're you're talking about group dynamics and how interesting it is. But So they're sponges? Yeah, they're, you know, they're made for kids that are one to three years old. And so, are they meant for, like, building things or is it kind of... Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's So if you have a child that's under... Five years old, they like to build. Okay. These are sponge things. That What I like about it, and again, there's all kinds. There's Legos. There's all right. kinds of different ones. These are easy to carry around because they right. come in a plastic bag that, with a zip top. Uh, there's 150 pieces, so it's 
and they can do it on top of a table or a desk or something. So I, I like it. I've done straws and tape. That one's fun too. You can they try and build something. That's uh, one I've seen more often. Right. It kind of topples over once it gets super tall. <laughs> yes. This is kind of the same concept, but it's a little more uh, confined and... and um, so are these teams competing against each other and they have the same exact setup of um, yes. sponge blocks? Yes. Okay. So each of these bags come with 150 pieces in it. They're all identical. And so they're competing. But the takeaway, mm-hmm. you know, anytime you do an exercise, it's partially to get the energy in the room going and so on and so forth. But it, it's also designed to have an aha factor on the backside, hopefully. And so the way you set it up and the way you, you always put time pressure on it and different things because that creates anxiety and that creates the competitiveness and that brings out <laughs> the good <laughs> and the bad of teens, right? The good and the bad of people. That's right. So that's an exercise I did yesterday out of one of our modules and it was, like always, very good. And at the end of it, I had some people come up to me afterwards and they were talking about some of the team problems that they're having in their organization right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of very examples I gave, a couple of specific people that they were having problems with. And a lot of it had to do, again, around the concept of teamwork and how some people, they're, they believe they're a good team player, but most of that is in their own mind and that the rest of the team doesn't see them, you know, pulling on the rope as hard as, as the rest. Right. And so how do you get people that don't see the gap between their own contribution and how the rest of the team sees them contributing. How do you do that in a way that doesn't erode trust with them and doesn't ruin the team environment? Right. You know, because you can get into a lot of that, well, you know, you said and then I did and (laughs) back and forth, so on and so forth. So one of my first questions that I asked was, is this person aware of the way the rest of the team feels? Mm Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, well, of course, how, how could they not be aware of it? I said, well, you'll be surprised right. how often <laughs> you think it's obvious, mm-hmm. but they aren't aware of it. They said, you know, that's really interesting. I guess we all assume these one or two people know what the problem is, but maybe they don't. And I said, well, in framing it, Adult learning comes in a format where people need to be able to understand where their blind spots are before they can begin to fix them. Right. And if you don't understand where your blind spot is, you know, how can you ever expect to do that? And you You can have years of building up that blind spot too, right? Oh, absolutely. And it comes back to, and this is what I talked about yesterday, was our intention is invisible. Mm -hmm. It's only our actions that people grade us on. So most people, their intent is to be a good team player. Right. And their definition of being a good team player, maybe in their mind, they're actually fulfilling that because a lot of their intent is to be a good team player, but their actions are being graded differently by everybody else. And without clarity, we don't know Mm -hmm. if our intent is being realized by other people. So with this group, I, I started talking a little bit about does this person know that they're not being a good team player? And if so, what evidence do you have to prove that they know, but they're just refusing to do it, so on and so forth? Of course, they didn't have a lot of evidence. It was all empirical data in their mind, but the reality was it was just opinion-driven. Right. And so it brought me to a point where I started talking about the adult learning model. And there's a lot of different learning models out there and the way adults think and the way they understand, but... I was helping frame it a little bit yesterday with them 
and talking about, you know, kind of the, the learning cycle in which all adults have to go through, all people have to go through. You know, there's there's ways that we introduce education and, and training and development, but there's also the way people have to perceive it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to talk just a little bit about those four components. The first is what we call unconscious incompetence. Now, what <laughs> unconscious incompetence is, and it seems a little harsh when you say it that word, yes. uh, that way, but what it means is it, at this stage, the, the very first stage, they're not aware of what they're doing. Okay, so uh, for an example, with this situation yesterday, they work in an environment where it's open, like there's no offices, it's no all walls, one, you yeah. know, walls, one big open area. And because of that, there's a, a one or two people that are very extroverted. And mm-hmm. so they like to sing, they, they talk a lot, they they have a lot of uh, outgoing personality. Walk but, around, chit-chat. Yeah, they do a lot of that. And and in their mind, that personality that they're bringing to the table is adding to the environment of the team. Mm-hmm. Well, the rest of the team, unfortunately, feels like it's, at times, attention-seeking. It is distracting. It's not helping with productivity. It's actually the opposite. Right. Uh, you know, people under stress feel differently. So if you're someone working in this open environment and you've got a project that you're working on, you've got to get done, you have a time frame, and someone else is being boisterous and singing and playing and spitting spitballs at you, thinking that they're <laughs> building a team environment to you, it really isn't a team environment. It's just someone who doesn't take their job very seriously. So right. step one is the unconscious incompetence means they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And the incompetency side is they don't even know how to fix it. Okay. So they're unaware that there's a problem and they don't know how to fix that problem. So how do you identify to the person if they don't know? And then there's probably people on the other side, those introverted people, and maybe the boisterous people think that they're not contributing to a nice teamwork because they're always by themselves and not talking to everyone. Yes. they, And that is a, a very good point because, again, that came up yesterday when I was working with this client. That was an issue. They said, well, how do we do it without causing more problems? You know, I had to share with them that trust and the foundation of trust is the foundation of how you give honest and open feedback without it being, you know, feeling like somebody's attacking you. Mm-hmm. So establishing a, a open dialogue and communication and trust with this person first is critical before you can introduce stage one, which is, are you aware that these things are not helping the team or yourself? If you don't have a good relationship with that person and a high level of trust and respect with them, they're going to take that through the wrong filter, right? right? The wrong paradigm. So It's kind of gutsy sometimes, too, if you're not sure where the relationship is. Yeah, absolutely. But for that employee, you know, and remember, we have organizations and we have people that work in these organizations and both have to be developed. Mm-hmm. And as individuals, we have to start with ourselves first. But how do we develop ourselves if we are unconscious to the areas that we're incompetent in? Right. And we never like to be told we're incompetent, right? <laughs> I don't know a single person that says, oh, I love it when people point out my flaws. No, we don't. That's why trust is so critical in stage one. Now, mm-hmm. stage two is where they're conscious of their incompetence. Yeah. Okay. So now they're aware that they have a blind spot. They're aware that this is a problem, but now they have to figure out how do I work on it? Right. And do I feel that it's important to work on it? 
Mm-hmm. So just because someone else doesn't like the fact that I have these behaviors, is it something that I want to work on and that I want to improve? And so now that I'm conscious of the fact that I'm incompetent in these areas, now that's phase two. I and think a good example of that, we had a meeting a while back with some other people and there was some feedback that I came off as condescending. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like I'm condescending, but it was good for me to know that so I could kind of put my comments in check and see, is that something that would come off as condescending if I say it that way? Right. And with you and I both, we we have this to where in meetings and it drives me crazy, but I've changed my paradigm. I'm better with it now uh, because of communication. And that is when I'm in meetings and people pick up their phones and they start <laughs> staring at their phones during a meeting. Right. And my initial opinion was you've checked out of the meeting, you're more interested in looking at a text or Facebook or whatever it is, and you're not paying attention. Right. And until there was clarity that, no, I have my phone because this is where I take notes. This mm-hmm. is where I keep track of all the stuff that, that we're working on as a team and that I'm responsible for, and I'm reviewing and I'm inputting new projects and notes. Right. That clarity helped me understand that the way I was feeling was not necessarily tied to reality that I needed to change that. But on the flip side, the person who's taking the notes on the phone, it's good to clarify that to the person who's speaking. Like, I think if I was in a meeting full of people that were not familiar with me, and that's how I was taking notes, because that's often how I take notes, I would be like, listen, I, this is how I take notes. I'm not texting and Facebooking, and I'm going to try and be as engaged as, as possible when I'm not taking notes so that you know that I'm not yeah. like just sitting here staring at text. Yep, Absolutely. So that phase two then is the the conscious incompetence. And this is where our efforts to change intentionally and and we plan it out and we work at it so that we can fix those problems. So Mm -hmm. we're conscious of them, but we're still, we haven't fixed it yet. Phase three then is the conscious competence, meaning I'm conscious of the problem and I have continuously and deliberately put in effort to begin to work on these new skills and so that I no longer stumble, you know, stumble through applying these skills. I've, I've learned them I've, and I'm conscious of them and I'm competent in being able to control my impulses when it comes to just blurting out stuff in the middle of a big open room or, you know, texting or, or looking at my phone without clarity, those right. kind of things. Right. And then what we're trying to get to, which is phase four in this cycle is when it becomes unconscious competence. Oh. And obviously unconscious competence is where I I became aware of it. Now I'm conscious of it, but I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. Now I'm competent and I'm conscious of it. And now I have done it and changed the habit enough that it unconsciously now is part of what I do every day. So it's kind of like habit building. It's your new habit to act in the appropriate way because you've practiced that so many times. Right. And that's the way adults learn. And that's, well, I say adults, I think all of us kind of learn in those same phases where I'm unconscious and incompetent. And now I'm conscious of the fact that I'm incompetent. And now I'm conscious and I'm competent. And now I've done it so much and practiced it so much. Now I'm unconsciously competent at this new skill. It's become a part of who I am. Where human beings in general struggle is those phases take time, they take focus, they take energy. Some, it takes longer than others. 
and we are in a immediate gratification society where we want these things to change. We want others to change. We want our habits to change quickly, but yet our motivation doesn't stay high enough to go through the, all these phases to make it an unconscious new habit. And so we fall back to our unconscious habits that we already have. Right. And so that's why when you see people that say, okay, January 1st is coming, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to exercise, right? And they are conscious to the fact that they need to get in shape. But until it becomes a habit of the way they eat and the exercise and everything else, it's going to be a constant struggle. Interesting side note, they found that the third Thursday after New Year's is the fall-off day. Oh, the third Thursday? <laughs> so the, wow. That's how long it lasts. <laughs> So Man, it doesn't take if long. you make it past then, you may have the habit built uh, that's to great. last. <laughs> what we know as human beings is that if you're going to tackle a big project, if you're going to tackle a big problem, if you want to change a big habit, something that's taken you X amount of years to develop, and now you want to change it, it's not going to happen if you try and change that habit overnight without constant reinforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Understanding these four phases of the way we learn is critical to the adult learning cycle so that when you're working with other people, if you're in a leadership role and you're help, trying to help other people become better at their job, become better human beings, better leaders, better team members, first step is, are they aware of some of the blind spots in their life and how do we provide that feedback to them in a way that it doesn't erode the relationship, but it actually strengthens the relationship. And that's a tricky one to do, but it can be done. And taking steps like this, teaching everyone in the organization these four steps and saying, okay, how many of us believe that we are unconsciously incompetent in certain areas? And how many of us are open to learning about those areas if it's done in an environment where it's safe and trusted and, and you don't feel like you're being attacked by other people. I would say the majority of people would say, as long as I don't feel like I'm being attacked, I want to know if I have blind spots. Mm -hmm. Now, once they know about it, then it transfers over to them. And now it's their responsibility because now they're conscious of the fact that they're incompetent in these areas. Right. And now this is where the work begins. So I have several workplace habits that I've been trying to break that have been brought to my attention. So I think these will be relevant because a lot of people have them. My first one that I'm really trying to break is being a perfectionist and liking the quality of my work and not wanting to pass it on to anybody else and let them have a hand in it. Mm -hmm. And understanding that everyone does quality work and their their work is of a different shade than mine, but that's not necessarily better or worse. So I've been trying to pass off other duties that don't have to come specifically to me to other people and providing the good training so that they know how to take care of those in a way that meets the standard of the company, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the hard one that people have. And then, of course, we talked about the condescending thing, like trying to keep in check that, you know, I don't know everything and I shouldn't come off that way and to kind of ask for input from other people in a genuine way so that they don't feel like, I'm just saying, well, this is my way, and I think it's a really, really good way, and you should do it, right? Yeah. It's, if it's not your intention to come across that way, then you need to clarify that. Right. And by clarifying that so that people understand my intention is not to come across the way that maybe I am coming across. Mm -hmm. Help me with that. Mm -hmm. That statement alone gives you a lot of grace with other people. 
it's when we don't clarify our intention that people now we put it in their, you know, on their side of the table to somehow figure out our intention because we're not clear about it. Mm -hmm. And human beings, we tend to go more towards the skeptical criticism route because it's easier Mm -hmm. than it is to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not a condescending person. It's not your intent. You just come across that way on occasion. Yeah. Another one is like when I have a larger project that involves multiple people to make sure that I give credit to those people and say, thanks for helping me here. This was really a big project. It was a team effort. And that makes people feel better than just like, oh, well, I helped Randy on that and he didn't even say thank you. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the deal there? And, you know, that is a symptom of, and I think a lot of people struggle with it, it's a symptom of being really busy with a lot of stuff. You work on a lot of different things. You finally get it done. You're proud of it. You should take time to thank everybody that was involved, but we tend to be, you know, move on to the next one, next one, next one. High-producing people need, that's the unconscious incompetence area where that constant reminder of, okay, now I got to be conscious of this. This is an area that I struggle with. I got to be conscious of This is an area that I'm incompetent in at the level that I need to be. Mm -hmm. How do I make it unconsciously part of what I do? Every time I finish something, I give credit to others. Well, and it's maybe part of this whole um, business 2.0, woo-woo, feel good (laughs) thing. But the act of being grateful, like stopping and saying, I'm grateful for the people that have helped me accomplish this stuff instead of just constantly moving to the next thing. Taking that moment really kind of gives you some clarity, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be interested to know what were some of the issues that came up with the people you've been working with, but like, what are the the common ones that you saw over over and over again? The unconscious incompetent area is where people are not aware, obviously, of things that they're poor at because they don't place value on those things. Ah. If we don't value certain things, we don't feel that it needs to be important And when other people see that it's important and we don't communicate about it, then it looks like that person is just incompetent. And the the truth is that other person doesn't value what you value. Right. And so they're not aware of it. The common denominators that in almost every organization that I work with from leadership all the way down to entry level is that people have flaws. One of my other podcasts, I talk about the, the Joe Harry window. And in there, we're trying to create the biggest public window that we can and minimize our, you know, our blind spots Mm -hmm. is we're too afraid. A lot of times leaders are too afraid to point out some of the obvious things that employees are doing that are eroding trust and communication and everything else, because it, to the leader, it's just not that significant right now, Mm -hmm. but to the other team members that deal with that other person on a day-to-day basis, it is significant. Mm -hmm. And leaders tend to ignore things that they don't feel are significant. And so as a leader, we have to understand that everybody in the organization puts different priorities on different problems. And we have to be able to empathize at all levels of all the issues that are going on and be able to try and create an environment, a framework where employees can, you know, we can get the most out of everybody on the team. Did you have any people that were genuinely surprised and go, I had I had no idea that so-and-so felt this way about our dynamic. Absolutely. I always have that. Now, whether or not they're telling me the truth or not, I don't know, (laughs) right? Because they always say, oh, I had no idea that I annoyed people. Come on. This isn't the first time you've been told that you annoy people. Or, you know, oh, I had no idea that by me checking Facebook every 15 minutes upset my coworkers. Well, now that you're aware of it, are you going to work on the habit Mm -hmm. of 
of trying to focus on those kind of things. And that's, it's just human nature 101. So if you don't know where to start, what are some good habits to try to develop? You know, we're talking about New Year's coming up here soon. People mm-hmm. are trying to build good habits. What are some good workplace habits people could cultivate? You know, you'll hear me talk about this over and over again. You cannot underestimate the value of open communication and dialogue, even with people that you have a hard time communicating with. Uh, Again, I'll I'll give a very specific example. Um, Another client that I was working with, one of the employees struggles with getting along with the rest of the team. What it was, this person felt victimized. Oh, it's always me. You know, they're always looking at me. They're always picking on me. This isn't my fault. And it was defend and blame, defend and blame Mm -hmm. over and over again. And I had to help reframe it and say, there in psychology, it's been proven, even though it's counterintuitive, that if you want to build a relationship with other people, that getting them to like you is actually the wrong approach. And Mm. that's where people start. Right. The truth is, if you want to build a relationship with other people, even people that you believe don't like you, the first step is they have to believe that you like them, hmm. that you, you want to be like them in certain areas. And that alone will start to break down the problems and open up. We as human beings struggle with that so much mm-hmm. that you're telling me that if I want to build a relationship with somebody else... I don't need to focus first on them liking me. I need to focus first on helping them understand that I like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly the way it works. And I know it's counterintuitive, especially with people that you don't get along with, but that's how you rebuild relationships that have been broken. And so with this client, this one specific person I was coaching, that's where we started. I said, it was all about, I'm a victim and you know life's happening to me and these people are picking on me, so on and so forth. I said, here's what we're going to work on. I want you to start looking for evidence of things that you like about these other people. Okay. (laughs) I I don't want us to focus anymore on what it is that they do to hurt you or punish you or isolate you. I want to on purpose focus on finding the things about these coworkers that you like. And then we have to figure out a way where you can communicate that to them in a way that feels genuine not sarcastic, not ingenuine, but genuine, whether it's a note, whether it's an email, whether it's a conversation, whether it's even posting something nice about them on Facebook, it doesn't matter, but you have to work proving that you value them first before we try and change habits for them to accept you because the focus is wrong right now. The focus is on you navel gazing and saying, woe is me, you know, I'm a victim here and that never works ever. I feel like mindset too is also a big part of it. If you view it that way and you've convinced yourself so very thoroughly that you are the victim and that everyone's out to get you, then it may be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, absolutely. We, our mind is wired to find evidence of what it already believes. So if I believe that people don't like me, I am going to find evidence of that Mm -hmm. because we're looking for it. That example of, You know, if I decide today that I'm going to buy a a red Volkswagen, prior to today, I never saw them. Now that I've decided (laughs) that that's what I want, I see them everywhere. Yes, that is so true. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the way it is with data to us. If I believe people don't like me, all of a sudden, I see all this evidence Mm -hmm. of the fact that people don't like me. 
And, and I, and the more I see it, the more it reinforces the belief that I have, even though the belief may be wrong, I'm looking for evidence to feed it. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes even more and more ingrained. Now, what happens is, is like anything in our life, the more we feed it, the stronger it gets. And so when you find people that are so set on a belief, whether it be politics or religion or business or relationships, whatever it might be, it's their mind has focused on looking for evidence to support the way they feel. That feeling is so strong now that they're unable to evenly balance what's real and what's not real because they've worked so hard at producing evidence to support the way they feel. And not to get political, but it's way worse than it's ever been. I feel like people can confirm their own bias really easy. Well, absolutely. And the reason why they confirm it is because there's 24 hours, seven days a week, bombarding of facts or perceived facts to support the evidence that they want to believe. And not even just political or news, but you people curate their own existence these days, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they curate the image that they supply to the world and that the the image that they supply back to themselves they can go oh look at all this stuff that i have you know either good or bad absolutely yeah and our our brains wired that way we look for it and the only way that you change the way you find that is you have to change the meaning of what you believe and that's difficult it takes effort it takes focus and it has to move from you know the the conscious to the unconscious before it becomes a habit and that doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. So. One thing I've I've seen, you're talking about this kind of toxic individual who just always feels like they're the victim and just nobody gets along with them. I see commonly that that person will try and drag other people into that feeling. Have you well, seen of, that? Oh, of course. And, you know, I in one of my seminars, I call them crap magnets. <laughs> and the reason why I call them crap magnets is because they're, they think negative things and they are like a magnet. They attract other people that think the same way. And it's because we're looking for a community to support the way we think we get fed from that. So I may not be right in a lot of different areas, but in this area, I found other people that agree with me. So I just turn up the volume in a sense on what I see as negative and the like-minded people, when they agree with me, it feeds me, it validates me, it gives me worth even though it's focused on a negative it's attention that i'm seeking the stronger we focus on the wrongs that are being done to us the more we get fed the more it becomes a real belief and that real belief is hard to change and we don't even want to listen to the other point of view because we are so confident we're right because all of the obvious evidence that's right in front of us proves that we are right because we're not even looking for evidence to contradict ourselves, mm -hmm. And it just, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And in this election, we've seen it more than ever that people are more convinced they're right today than ever before <laughs> because of all of the consumption of garbage that they're taking in. And, and this is all parties. This mm -hmm. isn't one or the other. It's all of them. They are fed constantly rhetoric that reinforces what they want the general public to believe. And it, becomes rampant. And it works in families. It works with businesses. It works with relationships. It works in every single aspect of our life. And so we have to be very careful about balancing and understanding our what's conscious and what's unconscious with us, what's habit forming and what's not habit forming and, and how to fix those things. So if you work in a company and there's not open communication 
What are some good ways to like start building that communication? It goes back to intent. Okay. And I, I talk about this a lot. I talk about intent and I talk about emotion because they are very centrally rooted in how we are as human beings. Our emotions drive our behavior. So we have to understand why is there not open communication? Is and, and emotionally, is that something that I'm blocking, other people are blocking, the organization's blocking? Why? Why why don't we do this? And and is there an emotion that's driving the reason why we don't do it. We don't get along with other people. We choose not to work at it, whatever the case might be. Then the intent is, is that we make assumptions about other people. We have to make assumptions about their intent. So if someone else doesn't talk to us, we assume they don't want to talk to us and vice versa. So when we don't respond, we believe that their intent is they don't want to have a relationship either. The truth is, I don't know a single person that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go to work and have a bad day. I'm going to, I don't want to communicate with anybody. I want to feel isolated. I want to feel like what I do doesn't matter to the organization or to anybody else. Nobody feels that way. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. But yet through spaced repetition of the same things, we tend to get into that and we don't want it. I do believe that it takes an effort of senior leadership all the way down to every single person in the organization to say, okay, this feels uncomfortable. I don't like it. I want to change it. And I have to be the first one to share my intent and say, I feel like on occasion, we don't work well as a team. We don't communicate effectively enough. I want more of this and less of that. This is my intention and I'm willing to back it up. And emotionally, hopefully my day-to-day activities prove that I'm not just full of hot air, that I'm serious about this. I want to work on it. So I have worked in a situation before where I was in charge of a small group of people. So this was back when I was in the Navy and I had a team of five people I was in charge of. One of my coworkers or one of my, on my team, he was older than me and he had, you know, less rank and he was kind of resentful of me, even though I tried my best to be fair and and nice for him. And I just sat him down one day and I said, why don't you like me? Why don't you, why do we have this hostile environment? And he just said, I don't like you and I'm never going to like you. Like, how do you deal with people like that that just don't want to? Well, my initial reaction is that you can't fix stupid. Okay, so <laughs> that's my first reaction. But, of course, that's uh, sarcastic in nature. And that is the reason behind why he makes those statements may have nothing to do with you. And you have to understand that the reason why he feels that way is he could be taking whatever this frustration is and placing the blame on you. And you are just an innocent bystander to what the real problem is with this guy. Mm -hmm. He may not like you, not because of you, but because he feels he should have had your job Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know who else to place the blame on because he doesn't want to place it on himself. Right. And that's the term fundamental attribution error. So what he's doing is he's saying, I know that what I do is good, but I'm grading you on what you do is bad. And I see lots of evidence of why I should not like you, even though it's not based in reality, it's based in opinion or emotion. If you don't have any real knowledge of anything that you've done to make him feel this way, there's a pretty good chance he's placing blame on you for something that you did not do. Mm -hmm. And when he puts his foot down and says, I don't like you and I will never like you, there are times where it's okay to say, I feel bad about that because I think you are a good guy and I'd love to kind of rebuild whatever relationship we need to have. Just know that 
I want to, the door's open. I'll be here if I can and hope that he gets help. Yeah, it's tough. I had another situation where it was a group of peers. So I was at a, a middle management area, right? And one of my peers who also led a group of people wasn't a fan of the fact that leading us was a female. So he had that issue. And by all accounts of looking back, like, was she a good leader? She was an excellent leader. But he just had that that he couldn't get over in his own mind. Yeah. And this goes back to the meaning that Mm -hmm. he's tying to that. Somewhere his paradigm is women can't be leaders or somewhere there's a meaning tied to why he feels that way. Sometimes people can't even explain why they feel the way they feel. It's been ingrained in them from you know childhood for some reason i don't i don't yeah. know and it, this isn't going all the way back to when they're kids but sometimes people don't know why they feel the way they feel it's tough they just want to act it out and most of the time they have to have an experience to change the meaning you telling them that they're irrational they read they read an article that says they're irrational they can watch a video that says they're irrational <laughs> all of these things are just information, but until they have an experience to tie the fact that they're irrational to it, it's not going to be impactful enough for them to change that belief. Right. And another, so that leader, she was an excellent leader and she knew to trust the people that she was given and to give them some direction, but not to overly micromanage the process. And we got along really well. I think you know my personality. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how I like to work is I like to have a leader that's strong and has a a firm direction. But then as far as like accomplishing the task, just let me do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll I'll do that. Trust me to do that. And I got put then later with somebody in charge of me who was a micromanager. Like the way that she uh, operated was she wanted to know what you were doing every minute of every day. And if it wasn't exactly what she wanted you to do, you need to change course, even if it wasn't the best way to work. So we didn't get along. (laughs) So how do you deal with those people who just, is it the job of the leader or the job of the person being led to adjust their styles or think of, I'll use the, the parallel of a sports team. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have a coach and the coach has a couple of assistant coaches and below that they're trying to recruit the most talented players for positions on their team. An effective coach understands the personality styles of each of their players, knows how to motivate them, knows how to discipline them, knows how to get them to work effectively as a team. And when you think of football, for example, you know, an average college football team has a hundred players on the team in different roles. You only have so many on the field at one time, but you have, you know, 75 to hundred players. Well, you can't micromanage everybody. You can't give everybody free will. You have to look at individuals and say, I have a vision for the team, but to get the results that I want for the team, I have to understand that leadership is about relationships with each and every player. And I have to figure out what motivates and how to manage those individual players within a parameter that makes sense so that it doesn't look like I'm playing too much favoritism over one over the other. What I'm focusing on is the result, not the process of getting that result. Mm. And if... If the result is we want to win as many games as possible, and and I have to let some people go through their own pregame ritual to get ready versus do it the way I think they should do it, mm-hmm. if they produce on the field, then by all means, 
go through your own pregame ritual if it works. Now, if yeah. it doesn't work, you need to be open to, to seeing it a different way. Right. But if you're producing results, most leaders that I know of will say, if it's producing results, I will figure out a way to make it a part of the team, not the other way around. I think the most frustrating thing for me was a, a step higher than all of us, the, the Chiefs were looking at the end result, and it was similar. But the motivation was different because when I was working under the first leader, it was like, oh, this deadline is looming. I don't want to let her down. She's been really good to me. She stood up for me. I'm going to get it done. And on the other side, the motivation was, she's going to come hassle me again if I don't finish this right now. Yeah. Well, this is the difference between management and leadership. You know, talked about this in the past that managers manage processes, systems, structure, people. They, they look to manage an outcome where leaders understand where we're headed, kind of the architectural side of the big picture. They understand the vision. They understand how to recruit the right people that are interested in, that are committed to the end result, not committed like in a penitentiary <laughs> kind of deal. And it's the difference between managing and leading. Now, management at times comes into play when we're at a deadline and we got stuff to do. You right. know, I find very effective leaders will micromanage towards the end if we're coming up against a deadline and we need to motivate people through urgency here, they might get a lot more involved. Mm -hmm. But they'll lead uh, from a day-to-day -day basis saying, what, what motivates my team and what kind of relationship do I have with each team member? When leaders have people come in and resign and they're totally shocked and off guard that it happened, somewhere along the line, that relationship between the leader and the employee it got too far apart, kind of a like a any kind of relationship. If you don't pay attention to the where we're headed, if we just take it for granted, you get surprised. And so, it like all leaders, you got to continue to check in and build that relationship, and and don't take it for granted. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like what you hear? A lot of what we talk about is part of the 360 Solutions Leadership Development Curriculum. Have you ever thought of starting your own consulting firm? We're hosting a Discovery Day December 8th and 9th in Waco, Texas to learn how. Go to 360solutions.com and fill out the form at the top of the page for more info. That's 360solutions.com. 2017 is right around the corner. Start the new year working on your business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.